This episode of Hodinkee Radio is proudly brought to you by Accutron and the Spaceview 2020 Collection, the first watches powered by electrostatic energy. Based on Accutron's history of innovation and groundbreaking technology, the Spaceview 2020 Collection is a modern take on a legacy that is more than 60 years in the making. So be sure to stay tuned for more details later in the show. Hey, it's me, James Stacey, and today I've invited Danny and Logan onto the show to look over a few of the nominated watches for the 2022 outing of the GPHG and a chat about Danny's latest test drive of an automotive-themed watch from Tag Heuer. As always, thanks so much for listening. Let's get to the show. All right, guys, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's been a little while since we've been able to sit down. This is uh, digital. Hopefully we can do one face-to-face sometime in the coming months. But uh, this is kind of a busy time of year for watches, and then we've got a return of a lot of travel. So it feels like it's been a little little while since I've kind of sat face-to-face, face-to-monitor with you guys. Um, uh, Danny, how are we doing? You've been uh, traveling a little bit? Traveling a little bit, trying to just keep chugging on. There's uh, plenty of releases to cover, and uh, it's been good. Been busy, but good. That's good. And Logan, you were traveling not a bit, but a lot. I, I think you're back in New York. Yeah, yeah. I'm finally back in New York. Uh, yeah, the past three months have been pretty uh, pretty constant uh, in the U.S. and, and around Europe. Um, but finally back in New York and I have a clear couple of weeks to, uh, you know, actually do my job, which uh, which is exciting. Well, who doesn't like New York in the fall? You know, there's there's a bunch of stuff that we could talk about. I tried to pick just a couple things to kind of catch up on this show. The, 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 the main one, I think, is going to be the GPHD selections because there's a ton of watches. Uh, they have a lot of different categories, and and I think it'll be interesting to give provide a little bit of background on what the GPHG is for those who are kind of new to it, and and kind of how it functions. I think we'll get to that in a minute. So I want to chit chat a little bit about the Tag Heuer Carreras that Danny saw, but we do have to make a disclaimer clear at this top. Not only does the Hudinki shop carry Tag Heuer, that's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing is, is Tag Heuer is part of LVMH, and LVMH Luxury Ventures is a minority investor in Hodinkee. We maintain complete editorial you know, independence. We can say what we want to say, but we have some burden to make these sorts of things clear. So now they're made clear. Let's get into it. Where I wanted to start with was, uh, Danny, you recently went and took a look at um, not only some really nice cars, but also a couple of car-themed watches. And I've been on record actually quite recently with my opinion that there's no bigger challenge in making a cool watch than trying to make a cool watch that also references a car. Why don't you tell us a little bit about these Tag Heuer's and how they kind of hit you? Yeah, I got to go to Paris last week uh, for the launch of what I guess is an obvious collaboration that really just didn't happen until now, which is uh, Carrera Carrera. Um, mm-hmm. So basically the fusion or the, the most recent version of the Porsche and Tag Heuer collaboration has come through in uh, a very interesting not even vintage inspired, but just like a, a very on the nose um, car watch, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's, it's for, for all intents and purposes, it takes great inspiration from um, the Porsche uh, 911, the first time Carrera was ever associated with Porsche, the RS models. Um, and so you get a lot of these vintage vibes on the watch from the car, whereas the watch itself is a modern watch. It's kind of hard to describe in that way, but the best way to do that it's sort of um, illustrated is on the side of the case is the Carrera engraving in the sort of Porsche script. Right. So the side of these cars, these are kind of legendary collector Porsches, uh, 73, uh, 2.7 RSs. These are worth, you know, these are seven-figure cars now easily and uh, super collectible, rarely made. They're kind of the that day's race version that you could drive from your garage to a racetrack, race it, and then drive it home was the idea. 
even rarer still, the lightweight versions. It's my understanding you got to see both, which is a pretty special. I did. I got to drive in a lightweight for, of all the cars I got to drive in and to drive, I drove in a lightweight for the longest amount of time thanks to Paris traffic. (laughs) Just what you want with a nice racy clutch, and yeah, I I know there there were there were times to open it up a little bit, but I have to say, like knowing that I was driving in a million dollar plus car was an experience, and getting to understand why it is that way because those cars are incredible, um, and yeah. and this is the sort of watch release where I wouldn't have understood it, and I probably would have passed it off as nothing more than sort of like a kitschy sort of release had I not seen the cars up close experience them um, what was neat about the fashion in which they were there was that i was riding around with the owners of the cars so they brought collectors from around europe to paris with their personal rs's and we just sort of got to spend time with the drivers sort of going around the city and into the countryside of france and and really it's great to see that passion that i know and recognize from watch collecting and I know that obviously it exists and the parallels that exist between cars and watches, but to see it, you know, firsthand was was something special for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it's it's two models. If you're if you're a fan, if you know the kind of traditional look of a Carrera uh, from the '60s, uh, it's in that vibe, but it's still pretty modern. And I think what I would commend Tag Heuer for is is avoiding any of the like more goofy pitfalls of making your watch look like a car. You know, there isn't, it's a chronograph. It's a two register chronograph. Uh, oh, sorry. A three register chronograph for running seconds at six uh, with a date. And there's no dial that looks a little bit like a tachometer or speedometer. It's a little bit more chill than that, which I like. How did these hit in person? There's a red gold version with sort of a white red dial. And there's a, a steel version with sort of a blue white dial. I, I actually have to say, like, I, I, I can be pretty hard on Tag Heuer, especially Tag Heuer designs at some level as being either kind of goofy or kind of missing the mark. On paper, these look a little on the big side, but I really like the dial. Yeah, they're not they're not small. Um, I would say that they they register as as what you would expect from a tag hoyer today. And you know, I was I lament a little bit because on the steel version, uh, which is really it's a cool watch and and the strap has sort of extends that Carrera, the Porsche Carrera branding out by having sort of uh, the same uh, script that'd be on the side of the car, sort of on the side of a NATO strap, but that also mm-hmm. comes on a steel bracelet, which I didn't get to see. Um, but seeing it on a steel bracelet in in images, in press images, it, it looks pretty, pretty good. Like it looks, it looks really nice on a bracelet, a little more um, subdued. But I right. gravitated toward that rose gold um, model oh, really? in person, okay. which I was, was shocked to do. And they're 42 millimeters, 100 meters water resistance, and they're using a um, uh, Hoyer O2, so a decent movement, yes. a movement that like is is worthy of a watch at this price point, that sort of thing. 80 hours power reserve, for 4 hertz, the rest of it. And it's a 12-hour chronograph, which I like as well, especially when you start talking about automotive stuff and vintage racing. For those of you who don't know, I'll put it in the show notes, but like typically speaking, the Carrera RSs, and even modern ones, you can get this script on the side of the car that says Carrera. It's usually in double relief. That said, they've put it on the case band, the nine o'clock case side. Was it goofy or was it subtle enough that like you could notice it when you want to and then not see it other times? It strikes me as like the equivalent of the faux rivets on a Tudor bracelet. You know, once you're wearing the watch, you don't really notice that that's there, especially especially on the rose gold because it's it's completely there. There's no paint. It's not filled with any lacquer, whereas on the blue model, mm. there's blue lacquer on the side. So it's much more subtle on the rose gold, which maybe that's why I gravitate a bit towards that. You know, you never know 
with a watch over time, what's going to happen, you know, scratching that up or whatever. I, I sure. can't speak to it, but it's the one part that feels a little too on the nose for me. At least it's not on the dial. Right. But I mean, th- that's not on the dial, but technically speaking, it is on the dial because they had the script. The script yeah. yeah. And so like in a way it, it is. So it's, it, I don't think it looks out of place. No, I mean, and, and it's it's kind of why why I said like if if you're gonna have a partnership like this, this is the most obvious way of doing it. And I think like the the words the word Carrera comes sort of from the same place in many ways for both brands. And this could have been one of the messier collaborations, and it really feels like they were able to strike the balance while also having some riskier elements, like having the the, the text on the side of the case too. And did you get an impression from the folks that were there that brought out their, you know, six, seven figure cars, what they thought of the watch? I mean, the, the stakes, in my opinion, are pretty low. They're making 500 in steel and 250 in rose gold. You know, like the, that's not that many. It can just be a little flagship for that kind of partnership and the connection to Porsche, right? So I mentioned that in my in my story that it's the 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 truly limited nature of, of the production of this watch, I think gives it a little bit more room to do whatever they want design-wise. I think that's what makes a limited edition watch a limited edition watch. Like really make it something different, which these feel like mm-hmm. to me. And the drivers were responding to it. I mean, we talked about it in the car and I got to drive with two different um, guys and they both were going to buy one. Yeah. They're very into it. Interestingly enough, though, because these guys are, are pretty deep in this world, um, it's, you know, you can look in my story and see the variety of cars that were there, but they're, they made a blue and white and a red and white for the watch, which I guess was supposed to be evocative of the two most, I guess, iconic colorways for the car. But the drivers were really keen on seeing one in uh, green and white. Um, okay. And I think that's one of the more limited runs uh, f- from a car perspective. And they they thought that'd be pretty cool. To see. I could see the color thing. You would want it in the one that your car is. Yeah. I mean, if you have a signal orange or Bahama yellow or whatever, like. You, you might that might be the one that you would want on the watch and and obviously that, I guess that falls outside the scope of what they were planning to do at that point you're making something custom right um, which would be a, you know kind of an interesting offering for a brand that makes as many watches as tag but uh, Logan these hit you in any specific way uh yeah I I like the color um, yeah I, I'm a big fan of the the caliber Hoyer 02 I think uh, at that price point it's uh just about the best chronograph movement thing you can you can get. Yeah. No, oh, I guess we didn't say the uh, the price point. It was seventy seven fifty in steel, twenty three five fifty in rose gold. Uh, you can get the Caliber Hoyer O two for uh, I think the kind of standard Carrera Sport or the uh, one of the other Carreras is maybe around six. Okay. So you know, I think around that price point, it's uh, just about the best chronograph movement you can buy. James, like you mentioned, four hertz. Uh, it's a fully integrated architecture. Uh, just a you know column wheel. Uh, just really smart design overall. Um, fully in house. Uh, just really high 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 quality chronograph movement. Like Hoyer Tag Hoyer should be um, should be known for. So that's great. You know, I take the subway, so I'm not a big uh, Porsche guy necessarily, but <laughs> it's cool. I, I think it's uh, thoughtful, and that's one of the most important things. I don't see much fault with it. I, I, I like it as what it is. Um, I'd be interested to see the yeah. red gold version in person just because looking at the images, um, I feel like the red and the on, on the dial and the red gold kind of clash. But uh, I believe Danny, when he says it, uh, it uh, mm-hmm. made him swoon in person. So. They, they really do complement each other in a way that I didn't expect. And I saw the press images first and was a little dubious and it's one of those things where it's it sucks to always say this but it, it really does make a difference when you see this stuff in person 
I think they work. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know how big the market is for someone who really wants a Carrera that references a Carrera and, and then in, into the specificity of a, such a limited one. But I think the watches, uh, they make sense to me. The price point seems normal for, for what you're getting. You know, I, and, and, and like I said, I think what's most impressive is I'm, I'm, I, always, I think it's always worth chatting about any brand that can do a car watch without making it a car watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like find, finding the ability to make that happen without, yeah, making it goofy or making it too hard to read or something like that. So, Okay, it's time for our ad break, and we're thrilled to have Accutron supporting yet another episode of Hooding Key Radio. This week, we're taking a look at one of the latest editions of the Spaceview 2020, which offers a modern expression of the classic mid-century Spaceview formula. Offered on either a leather strap or a steel bracelet and measuring 43.5 millimeters wide, the Spaceview 2020 has a three-hand movement with an open dial that shows its proprietary motor and turbine system, which captures the power of human motion and stores it in a special accumulator. This in turn powers a pair of motors, one electrostatic motor for a smooth seconds-hand sweep and one step motor to control the hour and minute hands. Tucked safely behind a sapphire crystal, the movement and its specialized technology are in full view on wrist. It's American watchmaking tradition and cutting-edge technology all wrapped up in a vintage-themed design with unique appeal. You can learn more in the show notes or by visiting AccutronWatch.com. And now, back to the show. All right, Logan, let's make the jump to GPHG. You know, this is kind of an annual event that has competing brands kind of thrown into the same ring on a variety of categories. They want it to be kind of like the Oscars of watches or the Academy Awards of watches, if you prefer. Their selects are now out. So I figured it'd be fun to go through the various categories and kind of say which ones we thought were interesting for being in there and which ones we would pick if we were uh, voting. Uh, Does that sound like a little bit of fun? Absolutely. It sounds like a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So first of all, Logan, why don't you give us a little bit of background on what the GPHG is and what its function is and why these uh, kind of selects uh, matter within the watch space. So the GPHG um, is a, yes, more or less an award show that is operated by a, a foundation that uh, the Canton and city of Geneva actually oversees. It's um, part of kind of the Swiss watchmaking culture. Um, but it was only founded about 20 years ago, I think 2001, maybe. Um, it's an official public interest organization for uh, supporting Swiss watchmaking. And it's about the best thing that the the watch industry as a whole, uh, because it's not just Swiss watches that can be honored, uh, Japanese and German and, and wherever else can also be honored. It's, it's about the best we have for kind of a, uh, you know, a big showcase. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It does have some limitations. You know, the GPHG Foundation doesn't do it uh, for free. The brands that are nominated, um, they, they can enter a watch, so they can send their watch for consideration, or they can be nominated by the GPHG Academy, uh, which it's worth noting um, that Danny and I are both members of. We're both part of the, the Academy. The Academy members can nominate a watch but if the whether or not they're nominated or the um, brand enters the watch specifically, the brand has to pay to uh, actually like receive the consideration. Um, and then there's a jury that's composed of Academy members, but not the entire Academy that I think is about 20 people. And those jury members vote on uh, who actually wins the watch. Right. But it's selected out of the pool of, of, of nominated watches. And the brands do have to pay if they're 
watch uh, to to move their watch forward uh, and to be part of the pool that gets selected for final consideration. And so right now where we're at in the process is the, the final nominated timepieces. So six watches in each category have been announced. The jury will make their decisions and there'll be a big award show uh, about a month from now, maybe a uh, first or second week of November is when it usually happens. And, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but it is fun to see what is out there to kind of make your picks um, and see see who wins because um, it's, it's the best we got, y'all. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's there's a, a wide range of Academy members, um, notably not me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is kind of an interesting thing. And it's a chance to to see what brands believe are their sort of markers. What are their flagships? What should hit a zone? What represent the best of what they do? So if you want to scroll along with us, we're looking at the nominated timepieces. You'll find the link in the show notes. This is the sort of filtered down list from the competing options. And uh, and there's quite a few different ones. We've got everything from ladies and ladies complication to men's, men's complication, calendar and astronomy, chronograph, divers, jewelry, artistic crafts. There's there's a handful of different ones. We may not get to all of them while we do this, but let's try and hit some of the major points. Uh, Logan, you're you're quite a bit deeper into the indie space than I am. When you're looking at these ladies options, there's six options here. Anything stand out immediately? I mean, obviously, the Constantin Jake and Harley Quinn stands out in any lineup of watches. But uh, it, it's definitely making some form of eye contact with me. What, what, what do you kind of favor here? Uh, you know, I think uh, I'd love to see the Parmigiani uh, take it because I think the Tonda PF is a super strong release. I think this is the 36 millimeter option, I want to say, uh, you know, diamond hour markers. Um, I, I do, you know, I think it's a bit outdated, yeah. uh, as we've talked about quite a bit, uh, to have separate ladies and men's categories. I, I think it makes sense to... It doesn't really make sense. Okay, I'll leave it there. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I would pick the Parmigiani out of here. I'd love to see. Um, I'd love to meet the the badass uh, you know woman collector that's wearing the Constantine Shake and Harley Quinn cool watch. But I think the the Parmigiani kind of stands tall as the most uh, interesting, attractive, and impressive watch here. What do you think, Danny? You got you got a vote outside of the Parmigiani? I mean, just because it's not going to appear later as far as my scrolling abilities can show, I'm going to go for the Alpine Eagle 33. I just think it's uh, that dial paired paired with the diamonds looks pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's not a watch in my mind that needs a lot of diamonds. Right. Like a gold Alpine Eagle is, is saying a lot. And uh, and so, so I agree. I think I think those are great picks. And then the next one, we go to ladies complication. Why is the RD3 in here? Is it just because it's a purple dial? It's Is that feminine? That's not a watch that has any any um, uh, gender statement at all in my mind. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, I guess just because it's a thirty-seven millimeter size, but I, I would love to wear that watch myself. Oh, for sure, it's super cool. No, the RD three is rad. We'll put the story if you don't know what that is or the legacy of the RDs. It's worth a, a rabbit hole. They are these sort of cutting edge technical work within a specific wing of of AP's development, and uh, and there's been some cool ones even just recently. One of which is this purple dialed rd3 i don't think this needed to be in men's or women's but i guess put it somewhere you know obviously there's some tough competition because the van cleef and arpels lady arpels or florals is one of the most ridiculous watches i've ever seen in person mechanically speaking yes um if you if you just look at the image and you'll be like james but you love pelagoses and 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 and, (laughs) you know citizen dive watches with digital i do i love all those but also this thing's dope it's uh it's really high-end watchmaking the other one i'd mention is that hermes is such a cool watch. Every time I get to see one in person, it kind of blows my mind. I don't know if I'd want it on my wrist more than 
an RD3. And of course, the Van Cleef would not work uh, for a guy who's currently spent his entire day in, um, in you know, a, a fleece jacket. But I do like that RD3, and there's some cool stuff in here for sure. T- definitely take a closer look at that. Uh, next up, we're at men's. I mean, there's, there's also some stacked uh, options here. That trilobe is super cool, like crazy cool. How do you, how do you not kind of give a nod to the Acrivia, right? Yeah, this is um, the men's category is probably the most uh, prestigious out of the entire um, out of the entire uh, show. I would say um, it's the closest thing to best picture. I mean, that sounds a little bad saying, "Oh, the men's watch category is the the kind of the top one," mm-hmm. but I, I think it's the one that is most valued by the the watchmakers themselves. And it's the one that's generally kind of the with the the most uh, fierce competition. I mean, because looking at this is a bit of a murderer's row with uh, Sylvian Pinot, mm-hmm. the Crivia, uh, and that uh, the Parmigiani's great, which I already talked about a bit, uh, and then the Zenith, which I just wrote about um, recently. This is the one three five piece. Yeah, it's the Carvutlainen did the 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 work on reviving, restoring the vintage caliber one thirty five. You know, with the Guillaume Balance, um, basically more or less the most one of the most accurate wristwatch calibers ever uh, developed. It, it won more chronometry observatory um, competitions than any other movement in history. So the they brought it back. Um, Phillips, the the auction house, applied some of their uh, you know curation um, aesthetic guidance. Um, Zenith provided the movements and Kari, um, restored the, the movements, um, without work, uh, messing with the, their screwed regulation, uh, and his dial and case manufacturers made, um, th- those aspects of the watch. So it's, it's really cool. Uh, one of my favorite stories of the year, but I, I don't know what I'd pick. I mean, I think yeah. they, the, the Academy might favor that Sylvain Pinot just because, um, it's gotten a lot of hype. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of leaning toward that for my pick. Uh, this Sylvain Pinot. How about you, Danny? Where you, where are you putting your marker? I, I'm in the Acrivia bucket for this one. There is a hype play to the Acrivia. Like the, it's a known quantity. Sure. But I, I think that's why it works in the men's category. Like I feel like they've earned their space to, to, to sit with those six. Again, this is going to be way more helpful if you open the link on your phone and scroll with us when you're listening, because we're not necessarily going to talk about all of them. We, I do want to try and move quickly, so let's let's jump into a men's complication. The standout here for me, for what I would want on my wrist, is the Parmigiani. I think this is a really cool travel watch. I love uh, twin time or, or dual time, travel time, uh, depending on the brand. But it's two largely identical hour hands, one of which can be nested if you want it to. And then you have the ability to essentially jump to a new uh, new time zone uh, when you land. I've seen, I got to see this in person briefly at Watches and Wonders. And yeah, I mean, the other stuff here is, is, is all pretty impressive. That's a, a really wild 1159. And, and then again, we have the, uh, the Hermes, uh, I guess the men's version of a similar, a similar watch. What, uh, what do you guys favor, Danny? Where do you land for men's complication? I am drawn to the code, uh, the code 1159. Um, I know that's a controversial so the pick. Turbion yeah. open work. Yeah. Uh, all blue. Very cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, this, these are tough categories because they, they couldn't be more diverse in, in kind of the, the most interesting way. Um, I think you covered the Armin Strom, didn't you, James, earlier this year? Or Yep, and that's an interesting watch with a kind of uh, an uncommon indication of the date that can also be zeroed to get out of the way. I, I got to say, I just, I love the balls of Armin Strom 
dropping a, a date complication for the men's complication category. <laughs> yep, for I'm sure. kind of all all in on that. So it's like a pointer date, but you can also return the hand to just point at date, I guess, if you don't want it to show you the date. Uh, like Arm and Strong for me is a, wa- is a watch brand that does a lot of stuff because they can. And I think this is another effort of this. It's distinctly a sports watch versus some of their watches that feel more dressy. Um, I, I don't really understand the market for it, but I also don't in any way want to say it shouldn't exist. I think it's kind of a fun idea. In my mind, they didn't say this in the press release, so I'm drawing between the lines. But in my mind, there's a little bit of this like argument about having a date or not having a date on a sports watch. And this, you kind of do both in some way. It, it, it's one measure of, of how you could, I suppose, do both. And if we jump to the next one, this is kind of a cool one. It's iconic. Yeah, so my, we've fav- got- my favorite spread of watches. This, this is your favorite? So we've got a Navitimer B01 Chronograph 43. I, I like the LEs they've done previously on the smaller case size, but I think you can say a Navitimer is iconic. You've got the uh, Gerard Pergo Casquette 2.0, a wild thing that I had hoped to have in for hands-on, and then they weren't able to send one, so I didn't end up getting to see it in person. But I'm a fan. I think these things are, are funny. They're those um, kind of side-timer digital watches with the red display. Again, you should be just following along visually. So this is the Big Pilot 43, so the small Big Pilot. With the green dial, uh, the golf coloring of the Monaco from Tag Heuer, a Zenith Refi, a Zenith Defy Revival, which is a very cool watch that an aesthetic I can't quite get with. And then finally, we've got a, a Royal Oak Jumbo Extra Thin Open Worked, which is a cool watch, but in, in many ways, I feel like if I went Royal Oak, I either want a lot of little subdials from a QP or I want that tapisserie dial. I just got to say, I mean, this category I find to be pretty nonsensical <laughs> the the rule behind it is the watch had to exist like 20 years ago I okay think. so it could be anything but it feels like like in my mind the defy and the jar pergo are not icons if i agree they're great i'm not saying anything about them being great watches or not great watch. i think i think they're fine they're very cool especially the gp but no one wanted that the vintage examples five years ago i, I think they're great for what they are today and i particularly like the zenith a lot i did uh, some cool stories on it and was there a 43 millimeter big pilot 20 years ago there was not i think that was like new as of last year yeah i mean this certainly this model is the the standard one i think it's a good idea to have it in 43 instead of the larger size but uh i don't know i mean for me from these from these six it i mean on aesthetics it's probably the monaco but they never really work on my wrist they don't sit correctly on whatever's wrong with my wrist for a monaco but i do like seeing them and of course now we've got the world 2022 world champion in formula one Max Verstappen sports a Monaco uh, whenever he's on on camera, and it's kind of cool to see that watch like continue to to have an automotive connection. You know, even even if he's a an ambassador, and the golf coloring's pretty rad. I don't know from these six, like none of them really. Um, I, I enjoy all of them at an academic level. I don't know that I would want to wear any of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I also think this is an unsustainable category title. I mean, there, there's no way you could fill it if you were to get it perfectly right every year with an icon. I mean, that's just an absolute misuse of the phrase. Yeah, it could we, be, it could be, you know, attaching to how much of the watch world's design impetus is based on whatever was big or, or in yeah. some cases ignored 20 years ago and is now kind of cool or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. I mean, like my choice in this category would be the Zenith, but my understanding of Zenith even reviving this watch is that it was sort of like a, an off the beaten path sort of model that really was a sleeper in its day and and kind of like a collector deep cut that they brought back, not something that was you know so these are kind of like new icons. icons. Yeah, I, I suppose. <laughs> All right, let's let's go to Turbion. Forget this. Let's go to Turbion. We got a bunch of Turbions. In my mind, it's got to be either GF or the Grand Seiko. GF for me is Turbion. 
at some level. But that Grand Seiko is still the thing that I'm so bummed that I was in the place where I could have seen it and I was too busy. I couldn't make the meeting uh, this year when they showed it, the uh, Kodo Constant Force Turbion. Even in photos, this thing just looks incredible. Logan, you've seen it in person, yeah? Yeah, so I actually think this is going to be one of the most um, uh, difficult to choose categories, and I do not envy the jury. Um, you have two really, really interesting tourbillon designs with the Constant Force Kodo from Grand Seiko, and then the cylindrical tourbillon from Moser, which uh, is probably my favorite Moser ever. Okay. The tourbillon from Parmigiani is great. Grubel, like you said, is all about uh, tourbillons, and the 24-second uh, incline balance in the the nominated watch is really impressive. And that also is an important watch for Grubel and it's kind of inaugurating a bit of a new design language. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see, I, I feel like Grand Seiko would be the favorite um, of most like journalists and people visiting, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing either the Moser or the Tio Offret, um, which is kind of a pretty wild watch. It's, it's insane. Uh, I haven't seen it in person, but it seems like something that the jury might kind of gravitate toward uh, if they have everything in person. Um, I, I But I wouldn't be surprised if either the Moser or Grand Seiko win. But for some reason, knowing how the jury's operated in the past, I, I feel like they might lean Swiss. Okay. Yeah, fair um, enough. Even though the Grand Seiko, I think, is probably the most impressive um, mechanical object out of here. Um, and I'd almost... I mean, it would be cool to see it win the the Aguida Or, kind of the top prize, best in yeah. class watch. Yeah, yeah, the top prize. So, I mean, we've got a few minutes left. I, I don't think we're going to necessarily get to all of these. Uh, I know you're you're a big crayon fan, and, and they're in the calendar and astronomy section. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot I think to look at. Anything else here stand out for you guys that that you've seen in person and you're happy to see in the list, or something that now, especially now that it's in the list, you really wish you could have seen it. Kind of like me and the Kodo. Like I, I got to see the Chapic Rachapane Ice Blue, and we shot it for a story, and that thing's wild in person. Very cool watch. I will say that for, uh, looking at the jewelry category uh, and how that Tag Heuer Plasma sticks out, <laughs> that category is pretty hilarious. Um, I did get to see that watch uh, when we were at Watches and Wonders. It's a it's a wild thing. Um, you know, with the diamonds that are set into the case. It is It is one of these things that's not like the other. It's one of those scenarios. It is really funny. Like if if, if the listeners are, are scrolling with us, that is that is the one that you're really going to stop and pause and wonder if somebody accidentally put the wrong image in the wrong place. But it truly does technically belong in that category. Do I think it'll win that category? Probably not. Um, but it's still... Um, if we're talking about what stands out, that stands out. Yeah. So let's do let's do some really fast round picks. What's what, where are you going for divers? Uh, for divers, let's go. Um, I'm going to go FXD. Just just in terms of like the way that it, it sort of shocked everybody this year. Right, Logan. Um, I think the Grand Seiko is a better watch, uh, but I think FXD will probably win. And I do love the FXD that Countdown Bezel. Yeah, fantastic. I'm also on FXD, but only because Docs have made a steel version. Of the army that isn't limited and is an incredible price at like twenty two thousand fifty dollars. Uh, as much as I like the ceramic limited edition, um, I would lean towards the uh, the Pelagos from D six and probably in the background I would actually buy the steel uh, army. That's a favorite. Uh, how about for uh, chronographs? So this is uh, alongside the Torbjorn, I think is going to be one of the most hotly uh, contested categories, just because you have the MBNF sequ- sequential Evo. 
and the Gronfeld Gronograph, not to mention like you did the Chopic Rochapont and uh, the another Parmigiani Tonda PF. But that I, I don't even know what I would choose between the MBNF and the Gronfeld. I'd, I'd choose the MBNF. I personally would too, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the jury opt for the Gronfeld. Yep. But I also, I wouldn't be surprised if either of these also won that. Oh, the Gronfeld's rad um, though. There's some really cool watches on this is, list. Chronograph's a tough category. I love that Cosmonaut. 24-hour time display is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, and what, why isn't that an iconic? Yeah. Like, well, because there's, there's another well, got the other one in there. there. Yeah, yeah. I think, we've, I think a... we've learned that iconic's kind of a confused category, maybe. All right, so there's a handful more categories, but I did want to get to the challenge, which offers a, a somewhat more price-conscious options. So there's six in here. There's a Corono, a Louis Arard. The MAD-1 Red, which is a, a pretty cool watch that you pretty much only see on Instagram, a Messina Lab, a Tag Heuer, Aqua Racer Professional, Solar Graph, and then the Tudor Ranger. Any of these six stand out for you? Specialness feels like the the MAD, right? Yeah. I mean, if, I, if I'm talking about like what I think will win, it's the MAD. If I'm talking about what like really piqued my interest and what I would consider kind of wearing around this year, it's the Solar Graph. Okay. Um, but but the, I think the MAD will win this category. What do you think, Logan? You got you got to pick either way with the. the... Uh, I'm guessing the Mad will win. I mean, I want to shout out uh, Messina Lab. Yeah, really good looking watch. The Eraser is a pretty cool watch, but uh, I mean, Tudor basically wins this category every year. I want to say so. That's also the Ranger is a good competition. So yeah, that that's kind of a, a brief overlook at uh, at the GPHG. You'll notice none of us attempted to say the entire name in full. Not not always my, my favorite as I get about six syllables into there and it falls apart. So we'll have additional coverage leading up to the November 10th kind of ceremony. And then, of course, we'll probably have some sort of coverage coming afterwards. It's kind of an industry event. It's fun. And, and it is a nice spotlight for a handful of watches that maybe you don't co- commonly hear about on Hodinkee or elsewhere. So we thought it would be fun to uh, to kind of take a, a look over the uh, the watches that are up for contention. Danny, Logan, thanks so much for being on another show. Thanks, James. Absolutely. Anytime. All right, and if you're listening to the show and enjoying it, you know what I ask. Send it to a friend, leave a comment, share it around, uh, let people know about it, and uh, we thank you so much for listening, and we'll chat to you in about two weeks' time. Take care. (laughs) 